When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Josh Wiggler here with a quick content warning for today's Stranger Things podcast. This podcast contains some conversation about drug use and may or may not include a story about Mike Bloom that has a little something in common with Argyle from Stranger Things season four. If that's not your kind of thing, you don't want to hear about that, I'd recommend skipping about the first five minutes of this podcast. Other than that, enjoy the show. Stranger Things season four, volume one is over, but we are just getting started answering listener feedback here on Post Show Recaps. It's the Stranger Things podcast on Post Show Recaps, a feedback extravaganza. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by Mike Bloom. Mike, we are uh, we are just uh, fielding all of these like strange little messages that have come aboard through these like magic little pixie dust lights. Very strange. Ah, uh, yeah. Personally, I think I've run out of light bright pegs. Personally, so did you ever I, do I, a light bright when you were a kid, or was light bright before your time? I don't know. No, no, light bright was definitely my time. Though I was such like a good little orderly Virgo that I would not do my own designs. I would only go by like the little pieces of paper that had the colors mapped out, right? And you Ooh. would put the pegs through. So I was very much by the book. Tell me, company, tell me what to Mike, do. Mike, that is so unlike you, uh, I feel like. You were doing this by the book? You weren't just, like, going hog wild and making all sorts of light fixture things? No, I mean, I think you find your creative outlets in a manner of speaking. I will say, like, I am not much of a drawer mm-hmm. when it comes to, like, my own creative outlets. I guess I'm more creative from a verbal perspective. 
except for that one time when I got really high senior year of high school and came back to my calculus class and just drew a bunch of briefcases the entire time. <laughs> wait, wait, excuse me? So I came back to calculus. I'd already Argyle, taken a, is that you? I'd already taken an AP exam. I smacked uh, that test right in the face. <laughs> and I thought, all right. Like, I was basically told, like, okay, you have to be in class, but you don't need to do anything. And so, like, my studious persona sat in the back and was like, I got a million-dollar idea. And so I just started drawing briefcases. I just filled a page full of sketches of briefcases. And they weren't even that creative, Josh. One of them was, guess what? Upside-down briefcase. Oh! One of them was invisible briefcase. Ooh! Did so, you draw it, or did you just leave nope. a blank spot on the page? That's, that, that's, the, that's my ingenuity right there. Save yourself some efficiency. Bada-bing, bada-boom. Bada-bada-boom, as Dustin would say. So Why briefcases? I, it's this thing where, listen... Uh, I, I know we're, want... we're going to get to Stranger Things, folks, but something is happening that I just need to explore <laughs> with my friend This is a pretty strange here. thing in of itself. I mean, listen... <laughs> You have you have dabbled in the purple palm tree delight once sure, upon a time. You, you yes. understand that like your brain gets fixated, especially in that state, on like one thing that is either hysterical or like scary beyond all measure, and you can't get it out of your head. It's oh like running gosh. up that hill, essentially, right? Or at least that's the way that happens with me when I'm when I'm intoxicated in that manner. Uh, and so for me, in that particular day, I was like, I gotta draw these briefcases, man. And so I drew at least god 15 different types of briefcases we're on the stranger things podcast how has this never come up once on down the hatch uh especially with whatever the case may be just hanging out there i will i will never know this is an incredible look (laughs) into your mind though mike uh what a what a delight what a delightful way to start this podcast so instead, Malvecna's mind palace, right, is like uh, the Creel house floating around. Mine's just a bunch of briefcases <laughs> just in a the bunch red of ether. floating briefcases in space. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's a lot less scary in some ways than Vecna and then horrifying in others. And yet we are here, Mike, to open the proverbial briefcase filled with feedback. <laughs> Did you draw this one as well? Yeah, I mean, I drew it, and the gold shined on me, though I think that's more 90s than 80s, considering the Pulp Fiction reference. We're not Correct, at that time yet. Yes, uh, but you did uh, collate the feedback of the Stranger Things podcast listeners, uh, the patrons of Post Show Recaps at patreon.com slash Recaps. We have a ton of feedback from them. We also got emails in over these last couple of weeks that we've been talking about Stranger Things, and Mike took all of that feedback stuffed it into a tiny little briefcase known as Google Docs. Uh, And here we are to open the thing and talk about some of the stuff that is still lingering from Season 4, Volume 1, while we are in this waiting period before Season 4, Volume 2. Just a week or so away from this podcast dropping, Mike. I can't wait. Yeah, and I think that a lot of us are looking at the way Episode 7 ended, and we're looking at Episodes 8 and 9, and we're saying, did you have to let it linger? Uh, what a what a brutal cliffhanger to leave us on, Josh. Luckily, as we talked about in our Episode 7 podcast, due to our own schedule, it's not going to be long. This is coming out uh, a little over a week before those two episodes drop, but yeah, it's a, it's a little rough from those that like binged all seven episodes right at the very beginning of June. Let me ask you, like, temperature check a bit. I know he likes it cold, but how are you liking it? How did you like the sort of doing it both ways in a manner of speaking, of binging it all at once to do our spoiler podcast and then going a bit slower and steadier episode by episode? You mean from a from a podcast perspective? Yeah, because I still think a little bit like uh, Inside Schmurgen Ball yep. here. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think 
the Netflix formula is something that as a network, we are still trying to crack. Forget us as a network. I think, uh, you know, like sort of, um, you know, I was going to say industry wide, certainly like medium wide. And even I do think that like, you know, websites who cover these shows, you know, journalist outlets that cover these shows. I think that like finding the right way to crack into a streaming show, there is no one size fits all. And, you know, I definitely got the feedback from certain people who were like, I I can't listen to the Stranger Things podcast. There's just no way that I'm going to be able to crush every single episode of the show in such short order. And then I heard from tons of people who were really happy about the way that we did this. Uh, and, uh, you know, because they couldn't help themselves and they just wanted to have like they wanted to be able to listen to the podcast, but also blitz through a season of TV. So, you know, a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I know that we have other Netflix shows that we have covered uh, in the past where we have done just like you know, the very by the book one episode at a time without peeping into the future at all. Uh, and that works for certain shows, I think. I think for me, Mike, for something as a blockbuster level as Stranger Things, when this thing is going to land in its entirety or in its most uh, mostly entirety, uh, however you want to, you know, portion out volume one and part volume two, I'm not doing math on the podcast. I've learned my lesson. I haven't learned my lesson. I'll do math on the podcast at some point in the future um, that I think that like, this is going to land in in such full force that so many people are going to watch it and, and sit down and blitz through it during the weekend that I feel like for something like Stranger Things, we don't really have a choice but to respond to the momentum. I'll say for me, I really enjoyed going back and watching all of these volume one episodes, knowing where volume one ends, because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm entering volume two sharper than I would be otherwise. Like I feel yeah. like because we had time to just like, process it as viewers you and me and then we get to go through each and every scene of all of these episodes all over again with an eye towards that Vecna reveal at the end and where the characters are positioned that I think that you and I are like in a really good spot to attack volume two with uh with with real awareness that maybe we wouldn't have possessed if we were just doing this one episode at a time without seeing ahead I completely agree with you not to pat ourselves on the back too much but like I do feel like we found a happy medium where I think it was certainly fun to blitz through the season at first, you know, seven episodes in bulk. It was a lot of hours, but just to like see this story as one cohesive timeline and then really going through, I think, especially because Stranger Things season four ended up being probably its twistiest season yet due to the number one Vecna stuff. It was good to now be able to go back and see like the seeds that are being planted. Like you said, also maybe helped us get through some of the, more grown worthy stuff like the Russia stuff or like the, the LA stuff going on with Angela uh, to like know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel as well. So I think we were able to hopefully satiate both the bingers and the people that were kind of trying to parse it out one at a time. And even just like rewatching the episode singularly was incredibly needed because to your point, when you binge it all in a row, this is why I'm not a binging Brendan personally, like so many details, I would say mostly of episodes like three, five and six, you know, not really the banner episodes, as we've talked about them, the more chess PC episodes really got jumbled up in my brain. And so yep. now being able to like demarcate and set up what happens when, 
helped me really start to break down the season a bit more, made it more digestible. Who is Demarcate? Uh, we will find out <gasps> as we uh, demarcate all of this different feedback. We've got so much of it. We are still open to feedback, especially as we get into the final two episodes of Stranger Things Season 4 in just a little while. If you want to send any of that in, at Round Howard, that's me, at a Mike Bloom type, that's Mike. You can also email both of us, josh at postshowrecaps.com, mike at postshowrecaps.com. Uh, you can tag at postshowrecaps on Twitter. You can talk to us in the Post Show Recaps patron discord as well, patreon.com slash postshowrecaps. Mike, we have a ton of feedback to get into here with our season four, volume one feedback spectacular uh in combing through all of the feedback any themes anything uh sort of like rising to the surface for you as far as what the listenership seems to be really focused on oh yeah patrick's dead body that's rising to the surface oh gosh poor guy uh but so it mainly focuses i would think around three main categories it's not to say main categories because essentially what i've divided our feedback into is vecna 11 slash like sort of talk about the nina project and then like a bunch of miscellaneous questions about the other characters. Mm -hmm. uh, I think given the events of episode seven and probably what we're leading up to, which is going to be a big battle between Vecna and Eleven, a rematch of the century. Most at least likely, the past few certainly. Years. Yeah. yeah, I think it makes sense to sort of focus on that. We have a couple questions about the other characters. I will also, you know, preview right now that again, we talked about this when we asked for feedback. This is more so looking back on volume one in retrospect. I think when it comes to looking ahead to volume two, there are going to be some references here, maybe one or two questions about it, but our predictions for Volume 2 are actually going to be reserved for another podcast that will be dropping this Monday uh, that will also involve maybe some other shenanigans as well. Yes, uh, we may or may not be able to tease that up a little better deeper into this podcast as well, Mike Bloom. Um, and while we're on the subject, I suppose we should start with Lord Vecna himself. Number one, a.k.a. Henry Creel, a.k.a. Jamie Campbell Bauer, uh, who shows up here in Stranger Things in this really electric role uh, that most people in um, my surveying of the scene have really been swept up by Vecna. Not everybody. We've got a little bit of feedback about that as well, which I'm looking forward to digging into. Um, Mike, where do we want to start here with Vecna? Yeah, so let's start, go from shenanigans to shenanigans. Uh, on the note of Vecna, <laughs> I think it makes sense to maybe start with one of the looser threads that we are left with at the end of Volume 1, right? Which is Nancy gets vecna that she does end up going to his mind palace like Max did, but it does seem like we see Steve and her technically on the other side of the, and still on the upside down with him trying to wake her up. This is a question from Josiah, who said, So we left Volume 1 with Nancy in Vecna's snare. We know the key to Max escaping was hearing her favorite song. Any theories on what Nancy might want to hear? I'm wondering if we get a callback to Season 1, Episode 1, and Steve Harrington is going to be desperately attempting an acapella rendition of Toto's Africa. Ooh, uh, was Africa featured in Season 1 and I'm just uh, blanking on it? Yeah, so that was playing, I believe, when Steve came over, when he did like a Sam from Course Explains It All and went through the window in the first episode. Hi, Sam. Yeah, maybe uh, Nancy's uh, music that she needs to hear is just the Sam from Clarissa Explains It All guitar riff. Or na 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 Nancy. Yeah, <laughs> na na Nancy. Do, do, do. And Mike, na Mike is Mike is sort of like a Ferguson type. He is, like nobody he? likes him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mike Wheeler definitely with the Ferguson vibes these days. Uh, so short of it being the Clarissa explains it all theme <laughs> song for Nancy, 
I mean, I think that uh, Josiah has great recall on the con the musical connection between Steve and Nancy. Um, and I think that that could be like a really, really fun Easter egg for um, the, the deep cut Stranger Things fans. Somehow I feel like with only two episodes left that Nancy is um, not going to have to worry about the music so much or that the ability to give Nancy music to listen to is probably going to be somewhat diminished. And instead, we're going to be just like sort of full throttle dealing with Vecna anyway, that like music won't have time to, to come into it. Yeah, or it could be something like I know that they came up with this entire idea in episode four of like music being able to permeate the deepest parts of the brain that maybe where speech cannot but I could also be something as simple as because they have been unfortunately teasing this Steve Nancy thing for the entire volume of like Steve gives her a pep talk or hell, maybe even like Steve kisses her to like right. remind them of the passion that they once felt. And that's enough to shock her back to reality. Right. And then he gets stabbed by a Vecna tendril and the death of Steve Harrington wakes Nancy up. <laughs> and Vecna's everyone... like, I'm team Jonathan. Yeah. You forgot about your boyfriend. Uh, that would that would that, would, that should be more of the mental torture, I think, than like screw Barb. Barb's you know dead and cold in the ground. I think right. Marzo's like, what about your boyfriend? He's in a van in a really kooky storyline. You abandoned him. He can't stop drawing briefcases. He needs your help. <laughs> um, I I mean Josiah does mention that Steve could sing uh to Nancy. So if like we're in a position where we don't have a Walkman to give to Nancy, would Steve? singing Nancy's favorite song be enough to shake her out of this? Uh, would this show, and I already know that the answer to this is yes, give Joe Keery a musical number? It is not would not be without precedent to give a cast member a game-changing, groundbreaking, all-important music number in a finale. Yeah, I mean, I think then he has to duet with Dustin, right? Like that is our another Steve Dustin moment of like, yes. hey, hey, idiot, come on and climb the stupid bed sheet rope and help me do backup on Africa. I feel do like that's not a harmony. I feel like that's not a horrible projection for where this could be going, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, maybe some people would love that and it's all about the execution. We'll see. We'll see if we get something like that. Um, what else we got? This is from, from Nick. Do you want to read Nick's piece of feedback? Yeah, so Nick is going to limit his feedback to really one big thing. I really hope the season ends with Vecna still alive. Vecna is the most compelling and most fleshed out villain the show has had. Uh, how dare you? There literally was a villain made of flesh last season. Uh, and it's not even particularly close, in my opinion. As someone that was personally hoping the show would end this season, the one thing for me that would really pay off them needing an additional season would be if this season wasn't about defeating Vecna, but instead all about building Vecna up as the upper villain. I would love it if the final episode ended in an Empire Strikes Back sort of fashion, where the main cast has to jump through amazing hoops just to all stay alive and all hope looks lost. Let's go into the final season with the main question being, how in the world would they stop Vecna? Would love your thoughts on Vecna's landing spot this season. So what are you thinking, Josh? Uh, do you think, well, and we'll talk about this a bit as well, I think later on with like the, uh, the possible idea about whether or not Vecna is indeed the Mind Flayer's five-star general. 
right. should Vecna survive this season or is it just nice and neat and clean to have him get defeated like a lot of the other villains? For the sake of the death draft, I want Vecna to die uh, because I would like to win that sucker. John um, Vecna must die. Mm-hmm, that's correct. Um, but um, beyond that very selfish need and desire, I am with Nick uh, that I think that it would be it would be a strong choice uh, especially knowing going into this season that season five was going to come and also be the final season of the show that to end this one on something of a darker note uh, with a loss and that the victory would be um, as uh, as as rousing as well at least we're alive most of us anyway potentially um, you know I think would be a very different vibe than we've gotten previously on Stranger Things and like what are the small victories that can exist within like a greater loss? Like if you, if you lose the battle, but you're still alive to fight the war, what are some of like the, the, you know, the, the, what's the daybreak look like in the aftermath of a really horrible battle against Vecna gone wrong. I think that that would be really interesting to see. And this is sort of why I can feel the, the Steve Harrington dies vibes on how that would wash over a bunch of characters and like reminders of Steve for, for Dustin, for Nancy, I think for Robin's storyline that we, you know, surmise that she still has, um, gosh, what is her name? Vicky, I think is the, uh-huh. is no. the girl. My Vicky is Vecna the entire time. We oh, should have known. Oh, no. Um, but like, you know, f- like having the courage as inspired by Steve to like, uh, you know, talk to her and like, you know, make a move. Um, so I, I feel like something like like those like little tiny bits of happiness could still exist even in the wake of a really big tragedy and a really big loss. I'd be really curious to see Stranger Things explore that. I think that they tried a version of that last season, actually, so in season three. That's what I was going to say, is that like we kind of have already had yeah. this Empire Strikes Back moment a bit, right, where Hopper is frozen in carbonite, in a manner of speaking, and we do have the breakup of the party and this real bittersweet idea of like, oh my god, did we just kill off a major character and now everything is, is scattered to the winds that I don't know I don't know if they would do it again. I know that they have said the tone of this season is much darker, but I don't, I wonder if though, like the message of the entire 11 one showdown that we've seen so far, right. Which is essentially like the happy and good and friendship will always win out over the bad and sad and mad. I wonder if that's a neater way to wrap it up and really bring an uplifting portion to what has been not a very uplifting season so far. So And, and it stinks because I totally agree with uh, with what Nick is saying. I love Vecna. I love the fact that there is a human in the Upside Down, someone who actually freaking speaks in the Upside Down. It's silly, I know, but like to give the Upside Down a voice instead of just like guessing what it does, it's a little cartoony, but at the same time, I, I like that the Upside Down is being given a voice and a representative. Here. I, I've similarly made my thoughts made about how much I don't like the okay, Vecna is actually a step down from the Mind Flayer stuff. So I would love him to be the big bad for the final season, but I feel like with two episodes and especially with four hours left, I can't imagine that we are walking out of this season with Vecna either alive or like maybe presumed dead. You know, like maybe there's a part of him much like the Mind Flayer, there's an eye and a, and a hand that's left. And he's able to rebuild something oh, based on that for season five. 
Interesting. Um, well, I hope that he makes it because I think he's a cool character and I would like to see him have greater importance. I think Nick's idea of like, let's set up Vecna as the upper villain. Uh, I love that. I think I think would be fun. We'll see where it goes. You and I both really love Vecna. A lot of the people that we have talked to love Vecna. Not everybody does. And I wanted to give some voice to that in an email that you and I received, Mike, from a listener named Daniel, longtime listener of PSR, um, and said that he felt very different about Vecna than you and I did. Um, Daniel writes in and says, my main point is about Vecna. Initially, I loved the character. I thought he was very cool and an interesting villain. Uh, and I was very interested to learn more about him, but it changed at the end of episode seven. The when big the Fire reveal. Nation attacked. Yes, the big reveal at the end ruined Vecna for me. Uh, Daniel says, making Vecna not native to the Upside Down made him a very boring villain to me. He's just an evil human with powers similar to Eleven. He's basically an evil human that wants to destroy the world. I don't think he's a complex villain. His motivations are terrible. He thinks the world and humanity are flawed, so he wants to destroy the world. This type of villain is a big cliche. I can understand if he was like the other kids and if he became jaded or evil because he was a prisoner of the lab and was experimented on, but that wasn't the case. He was super evil from the very beginning, before the lab was a thing. He was evil for the sake of being evil. He didn't really have any motivations. As I said, he saw the world as a flawed place, so he wanted to destroy it. There's no complexity there. He's a big cliche. Also, it doesn't make sense to me that from a very young age, he was thinking about the state of the world and was having an existential crisis. That's funny. Uh, Daniel continues and says, I think the creators made a big narrative uh, mistake. They showed us Eleven defeating him. I feel like now there are no stakes for the last two episodes. We already know that Eleven is stronger than him and capable of defeating him. What do you think? Um, so that's from Daniel. Mike, do you have any initial reactions to Daniel's uh, feelings about Vecna? I mean, as per usual, there are points that I agree with and disagree with. I do agree that I find it interesting we just really yada yada everything that happened in Hawkins' lab because I do think there could have been a storyline where, like, that is where his hatred of the world is really sharpened down to a fine point. And who knows, maybe that was the case. And like the story that one is telling is just kind of like a yada yada version. But I did find that interesting in the retelling. Granted, it wasn't an hour 40 minute episode, but that is just like, and then I got placed in Brenner's care and here I am. It's like, no, there's a significant portion of time. There's an entirely different actor who was playing you when Brenner first took you. Like clearly something happened here. Maybe we'll find out more about it. I mean, episode eight is called Papa. And so I'm imagining it's going to be Brenner focused. So I don't disagree with him there. I, I think I would have to push back, though, about this idea of, like, there's no complexity, he has no motivations, and then he goes on to, like, explicitly state his motivations. Yeah. That, I mean, yes, the world sucks and there needs to be, like, a new world order is not, like, a hugely deeply rooted in backstory type of, of, back, of motivation, but it's a much better motivation than, like, What's what's the mind flayer's motivation? Right. You know, like, oh, I want to take over this place and do what with it? What was the Demogorgon's motivation? This is definitely an improvement, I think, upon the other monsters that we dealt with in the past, which is one of the reasons why I like it. It's stepping that up in terms of storytelling. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, Mike, is that Eleven is sort of like our big supernatural entry point into Stranger Things. And I think a big theme of what we've seen with Eleven is um, how does she like 
have a life after everything she's been through? And how is it that she can laugh with Max on the bus after dumping Mike's ass? Like, how is it possible that, you know, she can, you know, go on and live a life and, you know, make dioramas and stuff like this after all of the trauma she's endured? And I think that one is a very different version of that story. It's like if that story broke the other way. Yeah. Uh, and so I think like having that be like a supercharged villain on the show that has something of a shared origin point with Eleven, I think is a I, I think is a good choice for the show. And I think to your point, not having like major motivations on the board for some of the other villains right now, at least something is better than nothing. Though I would also add that like clarity on what the upside down is and what the creatures from the upside down want other than human blood because it tastes so sweet, uh, you know, would be good to have. And I, I think I hope some version of that could be coming around the corner, could come via Vecna, could come from some other corner. Yeah, I'm hoping that once we now actually have revealed that Vecna is one and now that he's talking more that like we might get another monologue Jamie Campbell Bauer style about what the plan is exactly because right now it does seem like okay they're opening up gates to like infiltrate the world and then what? You know, are they just going to like uh take down major power plants? Are they going to try to turn it into the upside down? Are they leaving the upside down because like the upside down is ecologically destroyed at that point and now they want a fresh new territory to take over. Right. I'm not entirely sure, but I, I do think also on the note of like, there are no two stakes for the last two episodes. We know Eleven's going to defeat him. I mean, look, this is Stranger Things. We knew in the first episode before we knew who Vecna was that Eleven was going to defeat him. Like Correct. that is the thing of having, to your point, the superpowered character they most likely are going to come in. Goku is almost always going to be the one. Uh, maybe Gohan is the one that ends up dunking the ball when it comes to something like the Cell Saga, but it is almost always Goku for a reason. I mean, and we still like it as tropey as it is. And I think, but I think the Even other thing Krillin that ma- is probably the better comp because of the bald head. Yeah, exactly. Uh, though Krillin eventually tries to grow his hair long, I believe. Big mistake. In the Boo Saga, much like uh, Eleven does, and it does not go well. Probably gets mocked as much as she does. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I do feel like now I just have an image of Krillin doing like Angela. Hey, I cannot wait hand. for our Dragon Ball Z rewatch podcast dragging on. Yes, and that's gonna be after Down the Hatch when it's like we're just dragging on. Let's yep. be explicit about it. Uh, but I think that. This is, to me, maybe it's because I have Star Wars on the brain, Josh, but this, to me, is more like an Obi-Wan Kenobi and a Darth Vader than, like, one was truly defeated. Like, I don't think, I think Eleven maybe thought that she defeated him, uh, but the truth of the matter is, like, he was temporarily staved off at the time, and now he has grown stronger. So I think the battle is bound to happen, and sure, she is going to win, but I don't think it's guaranteed, like, yep, well, it's just going to be an easy one-two punch. And now you're even stronger now. Look how many Coke cans you can crush. You're going to make a mincemeat out of him. Yes. Um. So I we'll see how it goes. I mean, it also could be just like setting us up uh, for to the point uh, that Nick made. You know, 11 beat uh, one before. will inevitably, hopefully, beat one again, but might lose against him now, Uh. you know, as she's like newly repowering. Um. I think that that could be compelling and that like, we could leave season four knowing that she can beat him, uh, has beaten him before, but didn't beat him this time. I think could be interesting. Could be a um, real Apollo Creed situation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's let's finish off our Vecna talk with an interesting note here from the Upright Man. Upright Man says, we know that opening a portal to the Upside Down takes a huge amount of power slash energy. 
One advised to Eleven that she should draw power from a memory associated with, quote, negative emotions. Vecna tortures people with their immersed memories before killing them, and a portal to the Upside Down is left behind at the scene of the murder. How likely is it that the portals aren't a side effect of Vecna's killings, but are instead the entire point? Eleven defeated one and opened a portal to the Upside Down, even at a young age. I think one could be trying to gather power by stealing the negative memories of his victims, and he's tearing open portals from the Upside Down to gauge his power in comparison to Eleven. Of course, Creel doesn't realize that Eleven tapped into a happy memory of her mother to defeat him, or that Max escaped his clutches by remembering her friends. He's going deeper and deeper into darkness because he's incapable of experiencing the light. Right. And I, and I think an interesting touch about this is when we go to Vecna's palace in the two times that we do, we see people like Chrissy, like Fred. We even saw with Barb in the pool, right? Like, why is he keeping his victims propped up like heads on a trophy case? And maybe one of the reasons why, aside from just gloating and decorative purposes, could be this idea. Right, that like if he is siphoning the negative memories off of his victims to sort of save up to go back to Dragon Ball Z, like a giant spirit bomb that he could then use to systematically break his way into the real world, that could be a really interesting choice, especially countered with again the light of 11. I like the idea actually, and I don't know how narratively satisfying this would be for like the larger Stranger Things audience, but I kind of love the idea of Vecna creating these tears uh in our world between our world and the upside down these portals just because uh it would be very jokerish you know to to do something like that i'm of dog chasing a car yeah i just do things yeah uh and i we know how he got those scars exactly you want to all right i'll tell you again for the last watch episode seven though it's i know it's long sit through it those last half that last half hour will tell you um, but I think that there could be something cool there of like, he's just such a negative force of malevolence that he's just doing malevolent things. Um, of course, there will be some form of deeper connection than that. And it could be that he just wants to get the hell out of here. Uh, you know, maybe he does just want to get out of the upside down and back into, um, into, into Hawkins. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's all that he is looking for. I do think it's really, it's really telling to me that he, um, that the upside down drew him into it. You know, 11 pushes him in, but this is all from Hawkins lab that he is going from Hawkins to the upside down. I still am wondering how much the upside down existed before Vecna got there. There is still a piece of me that thinks that like Eleven's power may have created this alternate space. I really hope that we get some clarity. We won't in season four, I don't think. Um, But it would be really, really, really fun if we could get some sort of answer about what the upside down is, or at least when it came to exist and how expansive it actually is. Yeah, because then, you know, how much does that jut up against? Because it's clear that Eleven, when she threw one into the void, was quite a bit younger from when the gate opened with the Demogorgon, a.k.a. the snapshot that was taken with, like, the Wheeler's house, right? From November, whatchamacallit, 1983. So it's like, where does that discrepancy come from? I don't know. It's a, it's a little tough to me. It feels a little Peter Petrelli to have Eleven be the one to create this dimension. I, I personally like it more if it is just like this mystical universe uh, that, you know, they just happen to stumble upon rather than like, you're the one that caused this. That could be something that Vecna certainly says to Eleven, possibly to get in her head. 
But I guess we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, if it does, as to like, if Eleven did create the Upside Down, what does that mean for her characterization? I mean, it means bad things because this poor girl has been beating up on herself too much. Now she gets saddled with like creating an entirely evil alternate universe that's responsible for so many deaths in this world. Yeah, that would be rough. That would be very, very rough. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's keep talking about 11, though, Mike. Uh, we got a lot of feedback about 11. Uh, where do you want to start? All right, so let's start with actually a look back on season two. This is from Josh, and he recalls that during our season two rewatch podcast, we talked about how perhaps Eleven's backstory plot, a.k.a. the infamous Lost Sister episode, could have been better received if it was doled out in smaller chunks throughout the series. After seeing that done with both the Eleven storyline and Hopper storyline, do you feel that is a better way to tell these plots? Interesting. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that seeing Eleven's backstory play out over the course of multiple episodes this season, for me, has been satisfying. I think this does lead us fairly nicely into another piece of feedback that we got, though, if we want to talk about these things sort of hand in hand. Um, Josiah had once again written in and said that I love the Hawkins and Upside Down Hawkins plot. I actually like Russia, uh, but skip me with the 11 stuff and makes a grimace emoji face, Mike. Not uh, not the uh, McDonald's character. No, not yet. Uh, that <laughs> oh, comes just wait the until feedback. the Discord now. I can't wait for the request to have a grimace emoji. That's actually not bad. Uh, Josiah says, even after the big reveal, there's a lot of plot holes and huh moments left. It's still unclear why uh, how Brenner survived. It's still unclear why it's 11 It's still unclear would... why Brenner survived as well. <laughs> yes, it's still unclear why she would tolerate her former abuser. Still unclear why one couldn't find a freaking scalpel in his 10 plus years as an orderly to remove his own damn dampener uh still unclear why 11 could rip out that human uh rip that out of human flesh but couldn't rig a plinko game still unclear why one gets bombarded with lightning and turns into a mutant in seconds whereas steve heron chest can go upside down and that hair is out of place on his pompadour uh, I don't know. I kind of wish we left Elle's backstory ambiguous and sealed it up after season one. 
Wolverine was the coolest when he couldn't remember his past. It's feeling like they had not plotted any of this back when they made the first season. And rather than clean up those inconsistencies with some answers, they get hyper-focused on this big episode seven reveal to merge one Henry Creel and Vecna. Oh my God. The zero zero one tattoo reveal on Swamp Thing at the end was kind of overkill as Josiah's I mean, take. I don't know. Uh, to be fair, like, listen, you kind of got to go to the lowest common denominator. We might've put it together, but I, I guarantee there was at least 5% of people out there who didn't get it until the you need Swamp to make it really, really, really overt. I agree. Um, Josiah continues. This was all to tie a, to the new big villain it made the narrative feel pretty strange Strigoi to fit that end goal um Josiah then goes on to clarify I really am enjoying the season though uh so you know good good to know and he says that Kate Bush is the MVP of the season um but I don't know I think that um I haven't seen a a, a ton of takes about being pretty out on 11's storyline this year I think that the point that does maybe resonate with me a little bit from Josiah is this bit about Wolverine and how Wolverine is the coolest when he can't remember his past. And once they start really like the James Howlett of it all, yeah, uh, the Weapon you know, X it's... program, and it actually means Weapon 10. Right. You know, like there's some stuff there that's like, just let it be. I know you guys got to sell a product, but gosh, um, that I think makes some sense to me as it connects to 11. But at the same point, um, I think that... I don't know. I think that the way that it was parsed out and I think that the way the story was told for me was effective. Like I think that having her interact with her past and go back to the rainbow room was good. One thing that is, I don't know if it's um, necessarily that it's like telling or troubling or whatever. Um, I think that it is a little bit telling that we do not see um, Callie in this at all. Uh, mm -hmm. really uh, that we're not like telling a story with her at all. I know that she's not part of this initial crop of people, but the fact that like she's been completely sidelined since season two thus far does feel a little bit like they reacted to the, the lost sister by just ignoring it um, yep. that like they react to the, to the, to the reaction by just ignoring it. And I think that that character is, you know, in, was, was, uh, you know, that episode was what it was and didn't sit right with absolutely everybody, but it would be a weird thing to completely forget about it. I think like they did it. I feel like they need to incorporate it to some degree. And if anything, Mike, uh, I would be pretty psyched if season four ended with 11 kind of like at a low only to be like uh, brought back face to face with, uh, with number eight. Uh, I believe was her number mm -hmm. uh, and to like have that be a bit of a tease going into the final season. I know some people would be like, Oh God, no, but I actually think that that could be cool. I would really like it, but I, I think that ship is sailed. Dude. I think it's possible. Yeah. I think it's that we have seen through the first three seasons, at least that like the duffers will look at fan feedback and be really receptive of it to the point of making creative choices based on it, where we saw it on the positive side of like, you guys like Steve Dustin. We got a lot of Steve Dustin stuff for you. And then the other side is with Callie, where I very much think they take they took the approach of like, like you typically experience with a sophomore slump of like, well, that's a storyline we'll never try again, which is tough when in a show like this, it's tied into the mythos, right? This isn't like, let's, you know, get rid of uh, the Cunningham brother on Happy Days because he wasn't working with test audiences. Like this was someone that was inherently related to one of the main characters of the show and yes she didn't work but i don't see that as a reason to like necessarily get rid of her i think they did though because i i feel like unless we saw a groundswell movement honestly right now amongst the fandom to be like 
you better, we better see Cali in season five. I think the Duffers would consider it. Honestly, I think right now they are taking the reception, especially to season four, as like we are making the right decisions, and those right decisions might involve not enveloping number eight story. Yeah. Um, this is from Austin, your friend and mine, the great DM Austin Smith, uh, who wrote in and said, I do feel like isolating Eleven from the gang was one of the bigger disappointments in season two, and doing it again in season four is a bummer. But specifically not getting her and Max's dynamic is a huge shame. Uh, so Austin agreeing somewhat at least that Eleven story maybe maybe missing um, the mark a tiny bit. Here's what I'll say to 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 both um, to Josiah to Austin to anyone else who's kind of feeling similarly. There's only two episodes left in Stranger Things season four, and yet it's the equivalent of four episodes of Stranger Things season four. A lot of time to get some of these characters back together, and I think that we will get there relatively quickly. I mean, she knows. Uh, the thing that she was really kind of like sent here to remember, right? So, you know, she she should ostensibly be basically done with the Nina project um, with four-ish hours on the clock. And I think that that's right. It's like a two and a half hour finale plus an hour and a half. Uh, I know it was math on the math? podcast. I you, think we you, did it. I friends think we're close. don't lie, Josh. You I made know. A promise. I know. Uh, so like it's it's basically we've got four episodes left over the course of two. Uh, so I think that we, we will... Uh, I mean, I think we'll get Eleven and Mike at the very least. And I would hope that we would get Eleven and Hopper unless, um, you know, we get Hopper back. But the offshoot of that is Eleven is missing again. That oh also maybe God. feels a little real, unfortunately. But I think that we will certainly get her with some of the characters that we really, really love before too, too much longer. Um, yeah. One of, one of those characters, Mike, who I think that we're really going to continue to get Eleven crossing over with, unfortunately, is Dr. Brenner. Uh, Before we get to that, can I quickly respond to a couple of the things that were said when it came to this 11 stuff? Because I, I certainly, again, I, I see their points, but for me, I don't know. I didn't have as much of a problem with it. I think to go back to Josh's question, I do think parsing out the 11 storyline over multiple episodes worked much more effectively because to be honest, the 11 storyline is a little repetitive when you put all the epic, when those, the scenes together, right? It's like 11 fails. 11 gets bullied. 11 finally strikes back. 11 gets bullied again. Uh, and so I think just stretching it amongst those episodes was a good idea to not seem incredibly redundant. I will say with the Hopper storyline, like if the solution is let's put all the Russia storylines in a single episode, I would not maybe watch that episode if I'm yeah. being completely honest. Uh, I think the problem is less so about structure with that and more so about quality. And we talked about how maybe the Lost Sister as an episode proper, like, is not very good, but like there's something of an idea there. I still think even watching back the Russia storyline, there's not a lot of there there for now. And even if we get reveals in episodes eight and nine of like there's other stuff in, in the upside down that's there, then I'm sort of a, like, then why didn't we have that beforehand? You know, why did we have an entire episode of like Hopper slowly breaking his foot to learn to get out of his chain so that he will make the plan to escape in episode four? I think just right now we're, we're at a point where the Hopper storyline feels more meandering, or at least the 11 storyline had like some flavor to me, yeah. you know, like just a little bit of taste of what's going on with Jamie Campbell Bauer. Oh, we're finding out more about the rainbow room. I very much see Josiah's point that oftentimes the things we come up with in our heads are much greater than reality just because imaginations are limitless, especially when you are high and drawing briefcases in your uh -huh. AP calculus class. Right. Uh, and, and so I could understand why like, 
that might not live up to it for you, especially to your point how maybe in episode seven in particular, we are kind of like rushing to that final rush into that final reveal of like pulling this thing out of the neck, despite the fact that like she can't use her powers for the Plinko game. Though I also wonder if actually, uh, I don't know, actually, I was going to say once powers were dampened, that maybe he could have purposely been neutralizing the Plinko game to like make Eleven feel like she can't do it. But mm. uh, he has the the little sarsaparilla or whatever it was inside of him. So I see Josiah's point about like the plot hole slash maybe narrative inconsistencies. And I do see Austin's point that on paper, separating Eleven feels like a retread of season two. But season two for me felt more emotionally and impetuously charged right we always go back to that stupid moment of like her seeing max and mike in the gym and 11 getting immediately jealous and like saying oh screw this i'm going off now uh and that to me feels different than like hey i lost my powers i have to unfortunately get back in the hands of my abuser to be able to get them back in order to save the world those feel like two distinctly purposes different purposes to me and one has much more storytelling enrichment than the first one Though I do agree with him that like the L Max dynamic was one of the reasons why Sadie Sink was my season three MVP. And it sucks that, you know, they have had zero time together. In fact, Eleven has only interacted with what, like three or four cast members this entire season in the main cast? Not a ton. Not a ton, unfortunately. Um, and those that she has crossed paths with, Mike, she is either blasted with telekinetic energy or with a roller skate. Yeah. Exactly. So we shall see. Do you think we're going to get like an Angela Coda once all the dust yep. is settled at the end of season four? I do. I kind of do. I kind of think so. And then uh, it just like explodes her head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Scanner style. Um, all right. So let's talk about Eleven and Dr. Brenner. The next episode of the show is called Papa. Uh, and I think it's a it's a safe bet that we are going to get a lot more about Brenner in that episode. Uh, and it's not just a, an assumption. It is all but confirmed uh, that we are going to get a ton of Brenner uh, and not even all but confirmed. It's confirmed uh, from the Duffer Brothers themselves. Uh, there's an interview that they did with Entertainment Weekly that we were pointed to by a listener named Heather. Uh, and Heather was really, really out on the way that the show seems to be portraying Dr. Brenner this season. Heather says, I completely agree. There's no way he can ever be redeemed in any way after all of the horrible things he's done. But I fear that this is what the Duffers might be trying to do, especially after reading this article. Um, so we'll give the quotes from the Duffers. This is what Matt Duffer says about Dr. Brenner. He says, we wanted to show another side to him. There's more to him than we saw in season one, and we wanted to get to know him better. And there's no one more defensive of Brenner than Matthew Modine. Some of it is us infusing that in. Uh, to him, he's not a villain. Everything he's doing, at least in his mind, he has a reason for, and he thinks it's for the greater good. So we just wanted to make sure that the character had an opportunity to spell that out, not just to Eleven, but to the audience. Uh, Ross Duffer continues and says, we're not justifying anything with the character. We're just going, okay, this is more complicated than I originally imagined. We reveal a lot more, especially in episode eight. I don't want to say too much, but a lot of it was Matthew, because when you're an actor and you're portraying a villain, you can't play it as a villain. He never did, even in season one, even though in our minds, he was very much a villain. But Matthew didn't play it like that because he's a great actor and he can't in his mind think that anything that he's doing or any of this behavior is unjustified. So he's justified everything that he's doing in season one. I thought that was so interesting. And we had a lot of talks with him and a lot of that inspired his storyline in season four. 
I love how messy and dark it is. It was a lot of fun to write. So those are the comments from the Duppers as it pertains to Dr. Brenner. Mike, as somebody who was notably out on the idea of a continued, uh, continually alive Dr. Martin Brenner here in season four, we have indeed gotten that. We've gotten um, more of the of the character uh, as per Matthew Bodine's wishes, apparently. Yeah. Do you think that these comments from the Duffers point in the direction of continuing to like have it uh, to to have this attempt at least of like having uh, their cake and eating it too, with Brenner being both um, you know antagonistic but also having some justifiable reasons at least as per the creative direction of the show, whether or not we buy it being a totally separate thing. I don't know, because, like, I can see their perspective now that they vocalized it. Something that I always go back to is Star Trek has some of the best villains in any pop culture history. And it's because, to the point that the Duffers are making, you can understand their rationale. To the point that they're making, like, they're creating this reality where there are not just, like, soulless robots that exist out there. Everyone has a reason for doing something. There's a reason why they get up in the morning and are able to commit the atrocities that they do and feel like that there is a means to an end. And I think sometimes we conflate rationalizing with outright, you know, redemption in a manner of speaking. Like, I would say... Let me go back to season three, actually. This is a good display of the difference. I feel like when Eleven goes inside Billy's mind palace, that is rationalizing. That is explaining, like, okay, this is why Billy acts the way that he does, his abandonment issues, you know, his violent tendencies, etc. Billy's redemption, or at least the intention to, comes from when he sacrifices himself for Eleven for Max. Those are two distinctly different events in my eyes. I think to the Duffer's point, Right now, we have that rationalization for Brenner, right? He's talking about, like, what he wants to do, the means to the end, et cetera, et cetera. The big question is, does that also link up with redemption? And I think that redemption at this point would probably only come if, like, he does sacrifice himself for 11. If that does happen, I do not think I would like that because I think that does, to the point that you've made and now Heather agrees with, like, kind of fly in the face of, okay, so now we're supposed to like this guy. He did a bunch of shitty things to her, but because he saved her at this one point in time, we're supposed to like him. Uh, but if it just turns out that we're getting to know his motives a bit more and then whatever happens with him does, I'm a little bit more at peace with that. That being said, even just watching back these 11 flashbacks, I still do think there is a world where you just keep him in that, in that tank, in those flashbacks, and it still works as effectively. You can do the cold open, you can do some pep talks that happen. Instead, take the stuff of like, you know, Brenner talking to Eleven about superheroes and monsters, bring that into the tank instead of outside the tank and make sure that it's just Owens running things. And I still think that's a cogent narrative personally. Yeah, I think that what you've said about if Brenner like throws himself between Eleven and Vecna and takes a Vecna vine. First of all, we did that with Billy. Uh, you know, yep. basically exactly that uh, with just like different characters and slightly different circumstances. Um, but we tried to like redeem a villain in that way already. 
I'm going to, I'm going to feel pretty bored if they try to do that with Brenner. I think that the the thing that would be great to do with Brenner. And I think that there is like, um, um, like a story here that could satisfy both me and Matthew Modine here. Uh, and I think the, that the could, two dichotomies, yeah, the two sides it, of the spectrum, Josh Wiggler and Matthew well, Modine. Yeah. One can, uh, we've got the Harry and Voldemort thing going on. <laughs> uh, only one of us can make it. Uh, no, I think that there's a version where we're both happy here where, um, you know, they don't redeem or rehabilitate Brenner. But I think that Brenner could have his reasons for why he thinks that the horrors that he has inflicted upon the children of the Rainbow Room and everything that's going on with Vecna um, are are worth it if it is to, like, harness the powers of the upside down or harness the powers of these telepathic, telekinetic kids for the betterment of mankind in his mind, that it is like the needs of the few uh, are outweighed by the needs of the many. Like he wants to be a great humanitarian. Or the one, number one. Right. But he wants to be like a great, like a great man, but not a great person. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that, I think that that could work for me, but only if um, it's like, you know, set appropriately against the fact that like everybody else who we love and trust on the show is like, nah, bro, not the way, not the way. Um, I think like if the show ends with like, you know, Brenner had some points, I think is probably going to be tough. That's going to be a tough pill to swallow. All right. So let's talk about another character here, perhaps another tough pill to swallow. Josh, you and I have been playing the game that has been, uh, you know, making its way through the nation over the past several weeks. Which teenage boy will die on Stranger Things? <laughs> right. Uh, here is uh, an opinion from Tessa, who says, The more I think about it, I'm less worried for Steve and more worried for Eddie. I rewatched episode one the other day, and in the cafeteria scene, Eddie talks about how, quote, this is going to be his year. I think he's going to die, and I think he's going to die by somehow sacrificing himself to save Jason. That's interesting. Ooh. He also talked in episode seven about how he's usually the coward who runs away. But I feel like he's going to have a big hero moment coming up in the last couple episodes. I will never forgive the Duffers, but I think it's going to happen. And mm. it's interesting, Josh, canvassing social media. It does feel like things are, I don't know, maybe it's my algorithm. Like, I do see a good amount of Steve Harrington is dead, and I see a good amount of Eddie is dead. So I really do think this is, like, the true decision as to which one of them. Because I do think, to invoke a, a, something you mentioned before, neither can live while the other survives. Now watching through all seven episodes, where do you stand in this horse race? Um, can I be like the the meme of the girl? Why not both? Um, I mean, I don't actually think that they could both die. I just don't think Stranger Things has that in it. Uh, and I don't want to be proven wrong on that. I can't. I, I'm not going to be happy if both Steve and Eddie are lost here in season four, unless it's done in like a really emotionally uh, strong and, uh, you know, cinematically interesting way. Um, but I think that, Here's the thing. I think that if Stranger Things is going to, um, if like past his prologue and this is going to be like following in the footprints of previous uh, Stranger Things deaths, then it's Eddie for sure. Uh, Because Stranger Things loves to go into a season, build a character, get the character off the field and make you really sad about it because they've made you like the character. There was, you know, Barb is sort of like the first example of that. Although like, uh, you know, she was fairly thinly written, but like the way she dies, the circumstances around it, the way that like her last night on earth is really awful, really buys you into like, that sucks. I feel horrible about that. That felt rotten to, to be exposed to with Bob. He matters so much to Nancy. He matters so much to Will specifically. To Nancy. And he, 
uh, to sorry to Joyce, and he's going to say Bob. Yeah, don't tell, don't tell. That's a secret. Uh, that's a, that's on the editing room floor. Uh, that I think uh, you know you you get really bought into him as a character, and he's a sweet guy, and he's Sean Astin. So there's a lot of goodwill that's just bought by his introduction to the series. Um, with season three, Alexi, it, Russian Bob, as we called him once upon a time, uh, you know that like big goofy smile and the way in which he and Murray end up becoming friends. That when he gets shot, it feels unfair. It feels sad, uh, and I think uh, the version of that very likely is Eddie. Um, Eddie is somebody who all of the kids, uh, in the, you know, the main party basically with every, with the only exception of Will, cause he doesn't know him will be really sad to lose Eddie. I think Steve would be bummed at this point. Eddie just paid him like a pretty dope compliment. Uh, I think like people seem to really, really like this guy. Um, and I think it would weigh heavily on our kids, uh, of the show, but I don't quite know who else it would weigh like tremendously heavy on and that's not necessarily like the 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 point on this that i would rule it out i do think that losing steve would have much greater impact uh on more characters would be much more meaningful would be much more brutal would be a really big mission statement like a really declarative statement heading into a final season of the show um, a lot of like the, the casual fans of Stranger Things that I'm talking to with like out any provocation, Mike, are coming up to me being like, they're really setting up Steve Harrington to die, right? So you either it's people, like, like you're at a cocktail party being like, oh my God, Josh, Steve Harrington is going to die. Listen, it's not like totally dissimilar to that, to be totally honest <laughs> with you. Uh, you know, but, uh, but, I, but I think like either that's, that's too obvious or people are picking up on something. But I think that the the history of this show points to Eddie being sort of like the safe option because this is the type of character that they kill off. Steve Harrington dying would be like a very, would, and like actually dying and not like dying like Hopper died would be a really, really stunning, devastating thing that I'm not rooting for. I can just see the utility of it. Um, so I know that that's a bit of equivocation. I think if like you had to, like, if I had to say yes or no, which one lives, which one dies, I'll play it safe. Uh, and I'll say Steve lives, Eddie dies. I, I love this idea of Steve now showing up in the Russian prison at the end of season four. Like, <laughs> not again. No, not the second American. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, oh God, well, the Demogorgon, there aren't any Demogorgons left. So get in that Demogorgon costume, Vladimir. Right. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, let's talk about a character who 
has been given, I would say, maybe the short end of the stick in many ways over the past few seasons. This is a comment from Zakario, who has really just had a field day oh, with. Uh, I love it, uh, Zakario, who comes to, uh, to to the PSR patron Discord by way of the PSR Final Fantasy Discord. I'm so happy to have Zakario in here, and has had tremendous uh, Stranger Things takes throughout the season. It's been really, really fun. Yeah, so this is the one that I combed through the many, many great comments that he said. Uh, so you know, he was making posting some comments uh, before, and he thought, but he thought about running up that hill and how Max flashed through all these happy memories with her friends, and it gave her the strength to fight. And then I thought about Will getting Vecnud and tried to think of memories he might flash back to. And um, <laughs> has Will been happy at all since like the beginning of season two? Serious question, because I'm not sure that he has. They have got to give this kid a win. The more I think about his life, the more depressing it gets. He gets abducted and traumatized. He gets possessed. All his friends ditch him. He moves away. He loves a boy who clearly doesn't love him back. That's his time on the series in a nutshell. You can't just keep kicking this poor kid around like this. You've got to give him something. Let Will win. Yeah. And I think this actually segues perfectly into a tweet that I personally found, a meme that has been making the rounds uh, from at beef beef buyers i cannot believe i'm saying that out loud on twitter which is a screenshot of a fake youtube video that's will buyers happy moments and it's a 12 second long video <laughs> yeah and the screen cap is him in the hospital bed from season two um horribly brutal <laughs> horribly brutal and i think zacario brings up a fair point when is the last time we saw Will happy? It was probably like going to the arcade in season two. Yeah, or maybe like the beginning of season three when they watched that five minutes of the movie before mm. the lights went out and then when they picked back up and he started getting the goosebumps. Yeah, or like at the very start of the D&D &D session he was DMing. Like when he thought that he still had a chance of captivating the imaginations of Yeah, when he was friends. dressed up in that weird robe <laughs> and playing yeah. the boombox. You know, like he was happy for a minute and then it was very quick dispel yeah, what it's gonna be is it's gonna be will gets vector and they're like quick think happy thoughts it's gonna cut to the rest of development footage not found screen mm -hmm. graphic and then will oh. just breaks and dies or him just like walking away like george michael just moping <laughs> um you know very 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 sad don't throw this kid a broom uh, i agree with zacario though throw him a win i need to see something good happen to will i definitely very very much feel this vibe of protect will buyers at all costs and i had a conversation with with somebody uh, recently, Mike. Uh, a lot of people who are, you know, watching Stranger Things want to talk about it. So this is an offline conversation I that I this idea that Josh, you are just fielding all of these questions in the flesh from people. Yeah, it's happening. That's, that's or like incredible pe people who like are like calling me or texting me, and they're like, "What are you watching?" I'm like, "Oh, you know, a lot of Stranger Things." Like, "Oh yeah, oh my god, what do you think, Steve Harrington?" Uh, and like one of the people who I was talking to was like, they got to do something significant with Will. You know, he was connected to the Upside Down for a season, and then it seems like these past two seasons, he's just a fairly unimportant character. And I, I like, chewed on that for a minute, and um, the feeling, like, sort of, like, the take that I, that I uh, came out of that with is Will is a difficult character to have on this show now um, because... Mm -hmm. What happened to him in season one is so foundational to the rest of the show. Uh, the disappearance of Will Byers is the engine on which Stranger Things season one runs. And without that, the rest of this is clearly not possible. Um, so you, you don't like 
he survives that, it's hard to imagine that he's ever going to be, and especially he survives season two, it's hard to imagine him being in like tremendous amounts of jeopardy again. And yet, like if something really, 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 really awful happened to Will again, I feel like you kind of like, when you go back and you rewatch season one, that's going to be like unnecessarily devastating. So I do think that Will Byers is sort of like this tough character to figure out how to include in the show in a really big and meaningful way, as at least as far as like the mythology of it all right now, because there's some degree to which he's got the immunity idol and another degree to which like if you vote him out, it's going to be really, really hard to go back and watch his first appearances. It's also tough because they then compiled on like, okay, he's weird and he's back and he's an outcast. And then also, if indeed what us and a lot of people have been theorizing about his sexuality being true as well, he's also outcasted in that way. Yes. Too. So yeah. it's like, it's not like it's like, okay, he, you know, uh, undergoes this whole zombie boy thing, but like, then he finds a nice girlfriend who understands him and then they're able to couple up. Uh, in fact, he is one of the only people who hasn't at this point. And so it's really tough as well that to Zakaria's point, like, okay, he's obviously not able to escape the trauma that he experienced. At least he can find, like, a nice person to settle down with. Ooh, that's not going to happen. Now, look, if Will Byers gets a, a boyfriend in season five, I'm going to throw a freaking ticker tape parade. I would love to see That'd that. That'd be really fun. Yeah, yeah, to Zakaria's point, like, he needs a win. Uh, and so I, I really hope that's the case, but I do think they partially wrote themselves into a corner here with what they did with Roll, con considering that I think they put him in two different places from a story perspective that would cause him to feel a bit of angst. And so unfortunately it kind of compiled on itself. Um, this is from uh, the great Jesse Camacho, uh, yes. your friend, your friend and mine, Mike. Uh, Jesse wanted to show up on behalf of Paul Reiser, which I love. Uh, this is like, this is the guy who I want to come out here and talk about is Paul freaking Reiser. Uh, Jesse had this to say about Dr. Owens. Um, Jesse says, I completely understand that there's some negativity being directed at him for putting 11 back in Brenner's orbit, especially if Brenner does indeed have some kind of evil ulterior motive. But I do want to quote unquote defend him just a bit. This is a good man who clearly cares about kids as he helped 11 officially be adopted by Hopper and seemed to really care for Will as well. I don't think Owens made the decision to quote unquote team up with Brenner lightly. He seems to be pretty aware of Brenner's past actions. But having seen the photos of Chrissy and Fred and knowing something similar happened at Hawkins Lab years ago, he probably realized that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one in Eleven's case. Stop and realized, to the podcast right now, Jesse. I know you're listening in live, and you pulled yes. that reference as you wrote this email to us. And realized this was the best hope to get her powers back and save the world. I do think he should have told her about Brenner before. Giving her that fair warning is really the only thing I can fairly dock from him. I don't think he's perfect but he seems to be a genuinely good person trying to do the right thing. I'm not sure I see him dying, but I definitely see him getting to punch Brenner in the face at one point in a fun, satisfying way, but I could be wrong. Um, mm. Man, I would love to see Dr. Owens just clock Brenner. That would be super satisfying. Yeah, that's the typical thing, right? Of like the subordinate ends up overcoming the, the person above him. Though again, I feel like with the way the characterization of Brenner has been going, that's not what Owens would do. I think Jesse brings up a lot of salient points. I do wish that a little bit of those connecting the dots of like him looking at everything that's going on and realizing what needs to happen could have happened more on screen 
right? It essentially all happens in the course of two scenes where we see him at the very beginning and then we see him at the very end of like, here's your mission if you choose to accept it. I think it could have been nice. Dr. Owens is still a little bit of an enigmatic character three seasons into his introduction. And I feel like maybe some background is like his direct reaction to what could be happening. We get it a smidge in the Nina project, though I think it's mostly for him to be like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? This is inhumane. We got to get a move on here. We put all our lives at risk. So who knows? Maybe we'll get more of that in the next two episodes that might culminate in either a death or a nice swift punch to Brenner's face. Um, Let's start the process of ramping down here, Mike, with some forward-looking volume two shenanigans. Uh, This is a feedback we received from Amanda. Amanda says, my theory about what's coming next is that Dustin's streak of always being correct is about to come to an end. He said that Vecna works for the Mind Flayer, but I think it's the other way around. And Vecna is the big bad of the Upside Down. There have been some hints to Dustin being wrong for once, such as him saying, how many times do I have to be right until you guys just trust me? And Steve and Eddie saying he needs to get his ego in check. Let me know what you think. Mike, do you think that Dustin is going to get his ego in check? Do you think that we are going to see him be wrong about Vecna in the second portion of Volume 4? Or season four, I mean, rather. I, I really hope so, uh, because again, I, I talked about how the scaling doesn't necessarily work for me. I could see something else happening here, right? Where Dustin comes up with maybe this big play, and we'll possibly get into the D&D of it all, of like if they come up with a big gamut to do, and then like a bad roll happens, right? And then Dustin is wrong. Especially if that leads to a Steve Harrington death. Holy moly. I mean, even an Eddie death, I feel like having that blood on Dustin's hands would be traumatizing for him. Yeah. Oh, well, that would be too. That's too harsh. Uh, I know I'm out here saying Steve Harrington must die. Uh, but for that to like be something that poor Dusty Buns has to wear going into season five. Oof. Oh, yeah. I, I don't that like too, that. That would make him go from an agnostic to an atheist. I think at that point, like there is no God. No. Why would he do this to me? Um, but I think that, um, you know, D- Dustin being wrong and then us finding out that Vecna um, doesn't work for the Mind Flayer, but the Mind Flayer either works for Vecna or uh, what I have said before, like one in the same. Uh, you know, could it be that Vecna and the Mind Flayer are the same person? Yeah, like, I mean, uh, at this touch point, those vines. It's a hive mind. At this point, Mike, who isn't Vecna, right? Like Vecna turned out to be Henry Creel. He turned out to be, uh, you know, number one in the lab. Uh, how would it be such a stretch to add yet another? Like he's like Daenerys Targaryen out here picking up superlatives. We sort of forgot about the Mind Flare fleet. <laughs> yeah, could be. Uh, this is uh, this was interesting. This came our way from Madeline. Um, Madeline said, "Here is something I've been wondering about Stranger Things. Is season four going to end with a tie-in to the Chernobyl disaster?" I'd heard this theory a long time ago that Stranger Things would incorporate Chernobyl into the plot since the show involves Russia and takes place in the mid-80s. And with season four taking place during spring break of 1986, we are right up against the date when Chernobyl happened, April 26, 1986. So do you think we'll see a Chernobyl connection at the end of this season or maybe in season five? Mike, do you think that Stranger Things is going to... uh, are the Duffers going to try and tie Chernobyl to the upside down? Oh, it's a really good question because up until season three, I would say no, right? That they maintained 
pretty much within their little bubble. Yes, we did go to Chicago, but pretty much we remained within Hawkins. Season three, we bring in a bit of Russia. We're like, I'm of a certain mind to say maybe, but the question is how? Would it be something where a gate opens, happens to open there, and like Hawkins Lab nukes it? And then it just causes this disastrous fallout and they blame it on like, oh, it's the nuclear lab leak, like how they did actually shut down Hawkins lab, right? But being like, oh, there are contaminants in the water. I would not say it's for season five because it has been publicized now that season five is going to feature a time jump. So unless it starts with Chernobyl, which would be a hell of a cold open, cold fusion open, if you will, I don't necessarily know. I think to go uh, back to a point you made a couple times at this podcast, I think that would be a little too Dark, I think given the unfortunate relevance of how the season opened with the massacre at Hawkins Lab, I think involving something in Ukraine would also be a little too on the nose given recent events. And so I don't like those bookends personally. No, and I I don't know. I think it'd be a little strange and, um, you know, I don't know about like tasteless necessarily to incorporate Chernobyl into this, um, you know, like a real life disaster and saying it was the upside down all along. Um, but I, I kind of just don't think there's been enough there there on the show other than the existence of the Russians in the narrative of the show um, to go there. And I, and I don't know what it would necessarily do for us in um you know the the push to the final uh the final uh season of the show other than maybe mike to just like express that the upside down is leaking uh the upside down is like bursting out into our world and we really gotta hanker this thing down uh or else suffer like global meltdown you know there could be something there I have a hard time imagining it being tied so directly to such a traumatic, uh, catastrophic real world event for a Netflix show that has like such a big, uh, has such like a large audience. Uh, and like, I think an audience that maybe wouldn't feel great about that. Uh, yeah. Now I'm just imagining like a sixties version of stranger things where it's like, Season four ends with Dallas, Texas, November. Right. No, no. It's like a a Demogorgon show. Different Netflix show. Oh, no. Uh, Hulu show, actually. Uh, Yeah. yeah. And it's like the Demogorgon at the library, you know, the book depository. Like, oh, my God. They were behind (laughs) it the entire time. Oh, my gosh. Let's close this thing out, Mike, with a piece of feedback that I think we will read right now and reference in our next podcast. Ooh. And this this comes our way from uh, from Jordan. Jordan writes in and says, "So I just rewatched episode one, and the Dungeons and Dragons scene stood out to me as foreshadowing. The odds were stacked against the crew. The smart move was probably to run away." But despite the 1 in 20 odds, they decided to stand and fight. Dustin misses on his shot, thus setting up Lady Applejack to hit the improbable winning blow. Could this be a sign of how real-life Vecna will ultimately be defeated? The odds stacked against the crew. They choose to fight. To the death, someone takes a shot, sacrificially misses, maybe Steve, only to open the door to an improbable hero emerging with a long shot play, perhaps Eddie. Uh, This may just be how Vecna is defeated. What do you think? That comes our way from Jordan. I think that's a very provocative question, Mike, Mm -hmm. to look back at the D&D scene from the premiere of this season and try to map out how that's going to play out mechanically in the second portion of season four. 
I know that this is also turf that we are looking to explore in our next episode of the Stranger Things podcast here, Mike, because Post Show Recaps has a Hellfire Club of its own. It is the D&D campaign in the Post Show Recaps patron program. There are, what, something like 60 of us playing Dungeons oh & Dragons. Don't but say we- it too loud, Josh. Jason Carver is listening right now. Jason, shut off the podcast. Uh, and you will, If you signed up for the Patreon, Jason Carver, we're refunding you. Your money is not wanted here, you jerk. Uh, but at patreon.com slash recaps, yes, if you are a patron of PSR, uh, there is a D&D campaign that you can get involved in if that is interesting to you uh, a lot of your favorite podcasters are involved in it mike is involved in it i'm involved in it many many more um and so many of our incredible patrons who are telling just tremendously fun stories it's been such a good time we've been playing for gosh a year and a half at this yeah. point um and a lot of this is uh is is thanks in no small part to your friend and mine mike your obi-wan kenobi podcast co-host uh, the great DM Philly, uh, a.k.a. Rich Filiberto, who is a huge Stranger Things fan, is a professional dungeon master, and is the person who DM'd our previous tabletop role-playing game experience with Stranger Things all the way back in 2019. Wow, yes, uh, Tales from the Loop, prior to becoming an Amazon-adapted series. Yes, uh, so Rich is actually going to be joining us on the next episode of the Stranger Things podcast, where, among other things, Mike, you, myself, Rich, will get his takes on Stranger Things Season 4 thus far. But what I'm really excited about is we are going to look ahead towards how we think some of the stories are going to resolve in Season 4. But the very biggest one on the board is how the heck do you even start going about defeating Lord Vecna? And one of the ways we are going to try and answer that question, Mike, is that DM Philly is going to DM you and me in the battle simulator as we are going to try to go toe-to-toe-to-toe against Vecna, a two-on-one battle that shall play out in the next episode of the Stranger Things podcast. And I expect we are not going to win, but Mm -hmm. perhaps we will learn some things about our enemy that will be instructive for the final two episodes of the season. This is our rogue one, right? Like we are the Bothans. We are yes. the ones that are making the sacrifice play to get the plans to set up the people, maybe a different crew of different characters to come in after the fact, whether it be the characters we see on screen or perhaps the game table again after the fact to finally take this SOB down. Yes. Yeah, so that's the game plan. Uh, if you if you're the praying type, maybe send one up for Mike and I as we're about to go up against Lord Vecna in the next episode of the podcast. I do not like our odds, despite the fact that you and I have collectively played uh, probably getting close to triple digit hours of Dungeons and Dragons over the last year and a half at the very least. And you've played a lot longer than I have, Mike. Um, I still don't think that we're going to do such a great job against a villain as complex as Lord Vecna. But I will walk away happy if a we have a good time and it's a fun podcast and b if we get some ideas brewing about that vecna battle and how we can transpose that to what we know about vecna as a character on the show and i also think to this piece of feedback from jordan which is important and i want to mm-hmm, name check mm-hmm. again the next time we meet of what did we learn from the first dnd battle against vecna featured on stranger things season four uh, I think that it could tell us something or, uh, you know, a thing or two about what we might be getting up to with our battle against uh, the the villain of season four. Yeah, I am 
really pumped for this. I'm always looking for a good excuse for us to like stop down doing intermission and play some RPGs. We did this uh, with Lost Down the Hatch a number of times during its first run. Always had to be talking to Rich as well. I count myself incredibly lucky I get to do so on a weekly basis, covering Star Wars on another podcast here on Posher Recaps. I'm ready to get my ass handed to me. Yes, and I think it's gonna, it's going to be a nice little perfect way to set up uh, what will hopefully be, we'll take the L's so that the crew doesn't have to when it comes to the last two episodes of season four. Uh, if that does not sound interesting to you out there and you've got a lot of podcasts in your queue and you're just waiting for the next episodes of Stranger Things season four to drop, you're in luck. July 1st is just around the corner. That is going to be when the final two episodes of Stranger Things season four drop. Mike and I are going to make it our beeswax to be there early on July 1st to watch episode eight, Papa. Uh, and we are going to, without having seen the season four finale, we will stop down and do our uh, recap of episode eight. So our episode eight recap will be without the context of the season finale. And then the following week, I am pretty sure we are going to be breaking that season finale podcast in twain, like Robin's yeah. arrow. This is uh, not Robin. Uh, Robin, I think, is going to be terrible at shooting arrows in the yes. universe of Stranger Things. She's very uncoordinated. Yeah, I mean, listen, we don't know what's in the episode, but it's a two and a half freaking episode of Stranger Things. Uh, Josh and I, oh, we can only put like, one eight-hour podcast in us per decade. Uh, I don't think we're necessarily going to the end this from loss. I think it's much easier to digest this if we just find a nice halfway point or partially the way through, cut it through there. Because I'm going to imagine, especially since it's a finale, there's going to be a lot of stuff talking about. I'm not expecting us to do a lot of yada yadaing in the finale. So I think it makes sense for us to do it in two parts and really take it scene by scene. So that's the game plan for what's coming next on the docket for the next two weeks of the Stranger Things podcast. And then I am sure we've got plenty more to, uh, to talk about, to do on the other side of these two episodes dropping. But that's what you can look forward to in the immediate imminent future you got any questions you got any comments any additional feedback for us plenty of ways to get in touch uh at round howard on twitter that's me at a mike bloom type that is mike bloom you can email us josh at postshowrecaps.com mike at postshowrecaps.com um mike bloom what else do you got what do you want to plug obi-wan kenobi just wrapped that recap is up yeah just wrapped that up that was Really fun. Uh, contained the aforementioned DM Phillies, perhaps one of his favorite scenes in all of Star Wars. There was some incredibly compelling battle work, character work, thematic work. It wasn't a perfect episode, but my God, did we feel good about it at the end of the day. So that's all the way up on the feed right now with myself, DM Philly, Latanya Starks. Uh, what is not up at this point, but definitely happening soon, is uh, we have another show that is reaching a pivotal moment. The Boys this week uh, is reaching Hero Gasm which, yes, that is a name, and that is the name of an infamous event in the comics. Uh, we shall see how Amazon is adapting it. It is sure to be perverse and very, very fun. I'm covering that with Kevin Mahadeo. You're covering a very different superhero show with Kevin Mahadeo and Miss Marvel, which is currently also, I believe, halfway through its run as well. And the other thing is that, uh, Josh, you and I are continuing to talk not just about Lost, but Westworld as well. We brought ourselves back online, and we are staying online Westworld returns for season four, June 26th. Another series, much like Stranger Things, that has been gone for a hot second. We have been doing season rewatch podcasts for seasons one through three that recap everything that happened. But we also are ha uh, coming out, if it's not out at this point, it will be soon, with a kickoff podcast for season four that essentially does like a 
TLDL, I suppose, version of here's what happened in Westworld seasons one through three. We'll preview some of the new characters that are happening, some of the storylines based on marketing materials. It's a lot of postulating, a lot of theorizing, but that's Westworld in a nutshell. Sure is. Uh, That's really been fun. I've loved going back to the park with you, Mike, uh, and with Joe Garfine as well. You and I are going to be together to talk about the season four premiere in just a couple of days. Another show that is coming back, just to put it on people's radar, um, Only Murders in the Building. Season two is just around the corner. The first two episodes of season two dropping on Hulu June 28th. I'm going to be podcasting about that one with the great DJ LaBelle Klein, a.k.a. Yes. Troy, my dear friend, prolific wand-off artist, yet another dungeon master in the post-show recaps Dungeons & Dragons game. If you want to get involved in that and hear more from Troy, he's such a good storyteller, and that's why I'm so excited to have him on the Only Murders podcast with me. We're going to be playing the roles of Steve Martin and Martin Short with a rotating guest cast of Selena Gomez's uh, joining us along for the ride. Lots of people who love Only Murders, so we wanted to make sure we had that third spot open to feature guests to come onto the podcast and uh, talk about the show and theorize with us. Uh, it's a, you know, a great whodunit. If you haven't heard of only murders in the building, it's, you know, it's a hybrid drama comedy more towards the comedy side. I think uh, about a trio of people who love murder podcasts, who create a murder podcast about a murder in their building. Uh, somehow this is extended to a second season yeah, and we'll and, see exactly and, how that plays out. Exactly the opposite of Stranger Things season four in runtime. I believe the longest time for a season one episode was 35 minutes. Phenomenal. Uh, But it also contains an episode that is one of my favorite pieces of storytelling in modern TV. I won't go into too many spoilers, but I will say like it's got a good fun dose of comedy in it as well as like some surprisingly poignant character work as well. So yeah, very much recommended. It's 10 episodes right now on Hulu. That's like five hours that you could currently watch and catch up on. That's like an entire afternoon and then listen to these guys talk about it. I thought you were going to say, that's like an entire episode of Stranger Things season four. I mean, it's going to be the, basically the running time of the next two episodes we're going to be talking about. Indeed. All right, Mike, with all of that being said, I think it is time to close the briefcase uh, and call oh, it. Oh no, it's invisible. I don't know where it went. We'll call it on this feedback show. Thank you, Mike Argyle Bloom for guiding us through this one. It was a true delight. Uh, and it's time for you and I to spend the next couple of days stealing our stomachs for battle against Lord Vecna on the D&D table and see if that shows us anything about what to expect from the finale of season four. If anything, Mike, it might show us that our friends are in a deep load of doo-doo going up <laughs> against this guy. Oh, you're in deep poo-doo. Uh-huh. Yeah, absolutely. All right, folks, we'll be back with more Stranger Things podcasting in just a little while. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.